welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. I hope everybody is doing well, and thank you so much for listening and making a commitment to learning. I am one of your hosts. I am Jordan Porter, joined by the amazing Yvonne Brandenburg, but we also have a special guest today. Oh, my God, I'm so excited. I know. We have the amazing Laura Jones with us again, which we determined during the IMFET conference that it's been like four years since you've been on the podcast. <laughs> and that's which just is crazy. <laughs> I know. I can't believe it's been that long. Right? So and you Laura, have done give- some crazy, crazy things in the last four years. And we're so I feel like we've all done some pretty crazy things in the last four years. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> we've all been quite busy. Yeah. Well, Laura, reintroduce yourself to everybody with all your amazing credentials and then just kind of give like a short little like summary of what you've been doing since we last chatted four (laughs) years ago. Oh my gosh. You've done a Um, lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it has been a lot. Um, So hi everyone. My name's Laura. I am a registered veterinary nurse. Uh, As you can probably tell from the accent, I'm from the UK. Um, I'm a vet tech specialist in small animal internal medicine as well. Jordan and I actually tested together all the way back in 2019 and uh, studied together. God, that was a stressful year. (laughs) Legit. yeah, but so, I, I really enjoyed our like Starbucks like study sessions at like five thirty <laughs> in the morning. Yeah, they were great. <laughs> like I really like that, especially for me because I was jet lagged as anything, and I had no idea what time of day it was anyway. So yeah, five a.m. Starbucks yeah. studying is fine. Yeah, it was so nice because like I was the only one over at Starbucks for a little while, and then like within like thirty minutes, I saw Laura walk up, and I don't think anybody else really met us for like two more hours after that. And like it was like it was just you and I for a few hours, and like dude, you taught me so much of like the oncology stuff that I needed help with and I was like this is amazing I was like thank you thankfully because I think Phoenix right yeah Yeah, that was in Phoenix yeah oh god that Phoenix week it was amazing it was good I had had so much fun anyway continue on with like what all we've been (laughs) that's us reminiscing um so yeah so I uh, am also a VTS in small animal medicine I work uh, still in clinical practice in a referral center in the south of England called the Ralph and I also run a, a CE or CPD um, company for veterinary nurses um, aimed at nurses and also we have a few techs in there as well who want to do more with their medical patients and and I also <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell I don't like talking about myself. Um, I also run a membership called the Medical Nursing Academy, which provides a race approved CE for um, nurses and technicians in various medical topics and uh, a fellow podcaster. So I run the Medical Nursing Podcast as well. I host the Medical Nursing Podcast. So exciting because you just launched it, which is really cool. I, I think you only have. I don't know less than five right now something yeah insane. episode five went up on friday it went up on friday yeah so yeah. you're super new which is cool because i don't know i love i love when like technicians or vet vet nurses you know depending on where you're at i love i love when we do stuff like that because first of all laura's incredibly smart because you've been doing your facebook page and the instagram now for 
for a while, right? A couple of years. Since 2019. Yeah, actually it was, I, okay. I set up the page initially, the social media side of things initially uh, when I was studying for my BTS because I <laughs> was like, well, I'm making all of this stuff for revision anyway. I might as well share it. And nice. it kind of grew from there. So shortly after the BTS, essentially it all kind of came about from there. And, it, like and I it all just love the place. <laughs> yeah. And, and I love seeing your stuff and we share it when I remember to share things <laughs> to our, to our Facebook group, I always forget. And then I'm like, Oh yeah, I got to post that. That's really cool. And I love like how you break down stuff and like the visuals and stuff like that, which is really, really fun. And, and I wish you guys could see her PowerPoint that she has for what we're talking about today, because it's also really amazing. But yeah, we realized during our conference, when you were talking about AKI you mentioned this patient and we were like, oh my God, it sounds like a perfect case study. So that's what we're doing today. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I optimistically initially thought that I would be able to fit it in, in the lecture, but I right. talked too much. So clearly that was not going to happen. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. It's so funny. And well, it's um, a good thing that like all of us have a podcast that we can eventually like just exactly. talk yeah. <laughs> we'll be like we'll, we'll get it out there yeah and yeah. we'll make sure to link um as soon as those recordings from the conference are available we'll make sure to put those links in because it was it was also a great lecture so we'll make sure that if they you were all like great lectures it, it was such a great day yeah it was so fun super fun and and you were you were a brave soul getting up well not getting up early but staying late on a Sunday night <laughs> as late as you could with you know work the next day <laughs> yeah oh so great all right cool so we're gonna talk about AKI and a really cool patient so I'm gonna I'm gonna let you I'm gonna let you run it it's gonna be fun cool. let's Take do it away, Laura so um. <laughs> This is, it's such a shame that you're uh, listening to this rather than seeing this because I do have some slides, but I can totally uh, put, give you guys a link to a PDF of them if anyone wants to have a look at them. Um, but this is a case that I wanted to chat through following on from the AKI uh, lecture I did uh, for the conference back in November. It's probably the, my favorite AKI case that I've ever nursed. And he's like my poster child for AKI because we, we did peritoneal dialysis on him and it was quite a Hail Mary at the time, but actually it saved his life. And three years later, he's still doing really, really well. Oh, so awesome. uh, the case I have is a little cat called Shake. And Shake is, or was at the time of presentation um, for this, a nearly seven-year-old male neutered domestic short hair. I say little, but he weighed six and a half kilos. So not really that little at all, actually. <laughs> <laughs> he's and... adorable, by the way. He's uh, like a brown tabby and he's got little white feet and little white on his nose. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll uh, use his image. Oh, I don't know. If he also looks like the typical, he also is like the typical AKI looking mm -hmm. cat. Like he is. With this like... sad little face. Aww. And it's just like, it's thinness and it's just like you know like you can just tell like <laughs> you're just like yeah he's there <laughs> so uh he presented initially with an, uh, an acute onset uh, history of lethargy anorexia and quite marked abdominal pain and that was his um, reason for a referral to us from the referring vets they did note that he had weight loss recently um but some of that at least was intentional given that he was six and a half kilos he had been on a diet um prior to presenting to us but has 
was otherwise healthy, had no kind of other significant medical history whatsoever. He was an indoor cat, so we could automatically kind of rule out a few of the common causes of AKI. There was no um, like ethylene glycol exposure or anything like that. He did have access to a balcony which had some plants on it, but we were assured by his family that there were no um, plants there that were toxic to cats, no lily exposure, no lilies in the house, nothing like that. Mm. So he was referred to us with some initial blood work that was performed at the referring vets, which is in uh, British units. So you have to forgive me, I have converted it um, for the kind of really scary numbers. So uh, yeah. essentially his BUN was off the scale high, um, as was his creatinine, essentially. So we use standard international units in the UK. His BUN was greater than 50 and his creatinine was greater than 1250. So really, really high. <laughs> On my machines, it would just be like greater than. <laughs> yeah, probably just like dash, 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 dash. Not going to give you a reading. Right. There's like... no hope in hell. <laughs> <laughs> you need to dilute this. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of dilution. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't miss diluting. Oh. Yeah. Sadly, I still do a lot of diluting. Oh, I bet. So we'll either like creatinine yeah. or ALT, essentially. Yeah, yeah <laughs> <Right>? exactly. <laughs> it's exactly the number ones we're, yeah. we're doing. I had this one case once off topic, way, way off topic. I'll make it super quick. I had this Frenchie once that came in with an ALT that was so high. And like, so we had to keep diluting it. And we got to the maximum where we couldn't dilute it beyond 10,000. And this dog's ALT was greater than 10,000. We had to send it off to a lab. I think it ended up being like 12,800 something. It was, wow. it was all because the owners were like, uh, like home cooking for this pet and including mushrooms in the diet. And so we just removed the mushrooms from the diet and the dog recovered within like two weeks and was like back to normal ALT. It was wild. It was crazy. I, I the love dog the never back. felt sick though. No, <laughs> like, never felt not. sick. So. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so as well as the blood work changes, he presented with really, really severe uremia and marked renal pain, particularly when palpating around the left kidney. So we performed our own diagnostics and on our biochemistry, we got a creatinine of just under 2,500, <laughs> which if the internet conversion is correct, is uh, just over 28 in uh, mixed per deciliter. Oh my God, yeah, uh, BUN off the scale, total protein and globulin were up. So we expected that he was dehydrated. Phosphate was off scale high. Miraculously, all of his other electrolytes were, were normal, including his potassium. Thank goodness. Wow. <laughs> Which was a surprise. Yeah. Uh, we did a venous blood gas and he had marked metabolic acidosis with a pH of 7.1. And on a USG, his... Um, USG was low, so 1014. So although he had um, an acute kidney injury, we suspected that there was potentially a chronic component as well, just with that lack of concentrating ability. Mm. Hematology was fine. PCV was normal on admission. Uh, it didn't stay normal, spoiler alert, but um, it was absolutely <laughs> fine when he came in. Yeah, and... I'm sure he's a little dehydrated, so that might be a little concentrated. Uh -huh. Yeah, right. And then <laughs> compounded by a lot of bloods taken very, very often. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that dropped pretty fast. And um, we did some imaging once we'd kind of stabilized him with some fluid therapy and things and got him stable enough to ultrasound. And on his imaging, we found that he had a very, very enlarged, bright left kidney. And his right kidney, on the other hand, was much smaller. 
with evidence of chronic disease on that kidney, but acute changes to the left kidney. Mm. He also had some fluid in the retroperitoneal space around that left kidney as well. So we diagnosed shake with acute on chronic kidney disease. Uh, We did actually FNA, that left kidney, and that came back as an acute interstitial nephritis, essentially. We didn't know exactly why it happened, but uh, he knew that he did have an acute kidney injury on top of pre-existing chronic changes to at least his right kidney. Still better than lymphoma. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Way better than lymphoma. I'll take that as a reason for a large kidney any day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're like, whoo. Yeah, that'll do. We can at least treat that. So our plan for Shake was um, to begin with to uh, start supportive therapy and place a urinary catheter so that we could monitor his urine output. We also, under the same anaesthetic for the imaging and the urinary catheter placement, placed a central line at the same time because he was going to need lots of IV fluids and medications, reliable venous access for potentially quite a long time, and also regular blood draws for things like creatinine and electrolyte measurement. So we thought we'll make all of that much easier for ourselves by getting good, reliable venous access. And of course, this is a skill that nurses and technicians can also perform. And it's a great use of our skills and placing these like advanced vascular access options. So we started him on IV fluids. We initially started with LRS, but we did end up switching this out once he was more stable for half strength saline. And the main reason for this is because we were concerned about fluid overload in his case with um, potential um, drop in urine output and potential for oliguria. And the vast majority of his fluid deficits were due to dehydration rather than hypoperfusion. And because the hypotonic saline will move out of the intravascular space rapidly, and move into the interstitial space where his deficits are, we could use this to correct his dehydration whilst minimizing the risk of fluid overload. So we switched him out to half strength saline and we essentially tweaked the fluid rates based on his urine output so that we were matching ins and outs the entire time. We weighed him really, really often. So alongside his urine output, we were weighing him every four to six hours and assessing signs of hydration and perfusion and then adding up all of his fluids in and fluids out. So not just looking at urine output, but also when it came to things like starting peritoneal dialysis, for example, we had peritoneal fluid that we needed to quantify and things as well. Mm, Yeah. Well, and these guys, I mean, so many times they also have like some potential for heart disease right Mm -hmm. so definitely monitoring really closely to make sure we don't have fluid overload because that's easy to slippery slope to go down (laughs) yeah and i think with aki it's it's one of those things where it's so it so easily happens especially Mm -hmm. when they start becoming becoming oliguric and things and especially in a cat as well right because even if they haven't got a murmur a lot of the time like subclinical or occult cardiac disease is pretty common in our cats anyway yeah Um, and he got admitted into our icu and in our guys we always do a point of care ultrasound um on admission anyway so we will we will consistently be doing like t-fasts and stuff and at least checking left atrial size and contractility so we nice. had been able to at least subjectively assess his heart prior to starting fluid therapy that's pretty that's pretty cool <laughs> and again something text can do yeah 
like okay we you know not most places we're not going to be doing full echoes and things but we can at least learn how to do a thoracic focus and do a left atrium to aortic ratio so yeah see see everybody this is stuff we can do <laughs> oh so um it, to add to the lines and tubes and everything else that we placed in shake we did also pop a nasogastric tube in him so that we could start careful refeeding because of that anorexia history prior to presentation so we started him initially on one third of his RER and we planned to increase over three days back up to 100%. The other thing that we did in terms of his fluid balance once we had his nasogastric tube in was we actually gave some of his fluid intake enterally so that we could again reduce the amount we were giving um, intravascularly and therefore support his hydration whilst further minimising the chance of any fluid overload in his case. And then on top of this, it was mostly all about supportive care. So analgesia was a really important consideration for Shake because he had really, really marked renal pain. Mm. So we did initially give him methadone, but we escalated this pretty quickly up to a fentanyl CRI because even a full opioid was not sufficient for um, the level of kind of abdominal pain that he had, sadly. Oh, poor kid. So we upped to a fentanyl CRI and then as... Uh, he progressed and became more comfortable. We were able to wean this down back to methadone and then ultimately down to buprenorphine before discontinuing analgesia. And then on top of that, we gave him um, antiemetics with moropotent and ondansetron. Um, he was really severely uremic. So even moropotent on its own wasn't quite enough to manage his nausea. And obviously, if he's painful and feeling nauseous, there's no way we're going to get him eating anything voluntarily. <laughs> so know, before we like, even mm -mm. thought about, sorry, go on. Yeah, no, exactly. This is not going to happen. And that's why this is possibly a slight soapbox moment, but that's why throwing appetite stimulants and things at patients like this is just never going to work. And tempting yeah. to eat is never going to work because. You have if, to have the basics of why they're nausea covered first. Mm-hmm. And why they're not eating, I just meant why they're not eating first. So pain and nausea are like the biggest, the mm. biggest reason cats are not easy eating. And then you can throw the appetite stimulant on because usually, yeah. usually the, the pain control and anti-nausea miraculously well, works for most cats. <laughs> but like, it also sucks too, to like be given an appetite stimulant when you do still feel so nauseous yeah. because like, I've like, come on, like we've all had stomach bugs where it's like, you can't tell if you're hungry or if you're sick. Yeah. And, it's like that, and you're like, that's maybe such if a... I try eating, I'll feel better. And you're like, nope, nope. Yeah. That's it, worse. It's like such an, <laughs> it's such an uncomfortable feeling. Cause it's a different feeling than like pain or nausea, mm -hmm. but it's like, you're like, oh yeah, it's just. Anyway, yeah. really not nice. So that's why we were like, we're not even going to offer this cat food. We're not going to go near him with any metazapine. We're going to pop a feeding tube in. We'll sort out his nutrition until he's comfortable and less nauseous and less uremic. And then we'll start trying to get him to eat something for himself. Yeah. yeah so. And I mean, that's a really good point too. Like you have a feeding tube, so you can still get nutrition to the guts, right? So there mm -hmm. is, there is nutrition going to the, the cells in the guts, but you're not offering food to a cat that's nauseous because we if you own a cat you know how this works they get food aversion so easily so if you're offering them something like they'll smell it and they'll remember like we've all had that one alcohol we one alcohol that has made you nauseous and for the rest of your life you you smell it and it 
makes you nauseous. <laughs> yeah. See, tequila. I was like, me, it's rum. <laughs> oh, bad rum night. Yeah. So like we, you know, the same thing happens with cats. Like they're really susceptible because most, you know, we know that cats basically eat with their, their smell. Like that mm-hmm. is, that is their thing. So if, that smell reminds them of feeling bad. They're not going to want to eat, which is why in theory, (laughs) you shouldn't be switching them to a diet in hospital um, that they're going to go home on unless they're already feeling good. And you know, all that stuff is taken care of. Then you can try offering the food, but if they're not feeling good and you're offering a a prescription diet that they're supposed to go on, it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. Yeah. Sorry. We can no. all soapbox on this as internal medicine decks. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought it up because my next soapbox moment would be don't give him a renal diet. So you've already come uh, to that one, which is yes. great. <laughs> because also, one, I mean, one, he's got AKI right now. So arguably, yeah. is a renal diet going to do a massive amount? No. Let's see what renal function he has once he's over this and then make a plan for diet going forward. But also, even, mm. even in a CKD patient that's in the hospital, you know, five, seven days of the most appropriate food for them (laughs) is not going to make a massive difference in the long term. So actually just getting them eating something is going to be your priority. But anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we are on soapbox. We do it all the time. (laughs) So that was our treatment plan for Shake. And in terms of how he did in response to this, his creatinine initially did improve. So it, it dropped by about half. I mean, that's still ridiculously high, but compared yeah. to two and a half thousand, it was okay. Uh, <laughs> but but then it did plateau. So it, it stuck around the 12 to 1300s um, in UK units, which is about 13 and a half to 14 and a half um, mixed per deciliter. Which is so wild. still not great. <laughs> it improved, but not by like, you know, it's not normal by any means. But around the same time as we were seeing this kind of static improvement in his creatinine, he started becoming progressively fluid intolerant. So despite Mm. having mostly enteral fluid and any IV fluid being half strength saline, he did develop interstitial edema. He also gained about 600 grams in weight and his urine output dropped and it plateaued at around 0.5 to 1 mil per kilo. So oliguric. So at this point, he's fluid overloaded despite doing the best we can to prevent it from happening unfortunately in his case with that oliguria he has still become fluid overloaded so we obviously had to stop his IV fluid therapy and I think that's a really important point for not just cats with AKI but any animal because I don't know about you guys but certainly in in school with nursing we always got taught that you basically fixed kidneys with fluids yeah Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. In cases like this, like you just cannot, you're not going to be able to keep pushing fluid therapy through the, the kidneys of an oliguric aneuric AKI patient because those you're kidneys, drown them. yeah, they just can't do anything with that fluid. Yeah. So it seems counterintuitive to stop fluid therapy, but that's really the only option that we have in cases yeah. like this. So at this point, the options that we've basically got are trying diuretics, but really they're kind of a Hail Mary for cases like this. All we're doing is trying to force the kidneys to get rid of this fluid. But if the kidneys actually can't do that, then arguably giving diuretics is not going to do a a massive amount to actually improve um, renal function, certainly. 
we did try it because we didn't really have another option he wasn't a hemodialysis candidate because in the UK certainly we don't have very many centers that offer hemodialysis I can think of certainly in the south of England only two Mm. and they the cats have to be a certain minimum weight because they need a large jugular catheter and they normally have a criteria that they have to be hyperkalemic um to con- mm. to be considered for hemodialysis so hemodialysis was not an option for him perisneal dialysis was an option um and other than that the only other option really would have been euthanasia right so we did try frizamide it made absolutely no difference to his creatinine level or his urine output so at that point we were basically left with peritoneal dialysis or euthanasia as our two treatment options sadly mm. um, for shake so we did decide to do peritoneal dialysis and at least give it a go and see how he responded before obviously reaching for the other treatment option so we took him to theater And we surgically placed a Jackson Pratt drain into his abdomen so that we could instill dialysate through this. So he had, um, and again, when you have a look at the PDF of the slides, for those of you um, listening, you'll see like a photo of what this looks like. But he basically had his Jackson Pratt catheter going into his abdomen. And this was attached to a three-way tap. And from this, he had a line going in, which had the dialysate solution in, and then line going out, which was to a urine collection bag so that we could control how much was going in, how much was going out and how much was staying in the abdomen at any one time. And he had dialysate solution, which was infused into his abdomen. That was infused over around a 30 minute period so that it wasn't all flooding in um, kind of quickly and, you know, compressing his diaphragm or anything like that. It was left in for initially half an hour And then as he became more accustomed to the PD, we increased the dwell time up to 45 minutes. And then it was then allowed to free drain out over a a one hour period. Hmm. So it's quite a lengthy process. Uh, One PD cycle is you're looking at about one and a half hours um, to two hours, really. And he was then having six to eight cycles a day for a total of four days. So it's really, really nursing intensive. These guys are having kind of one-on-one care continually just because of the amount of time you're having to spend actually making everything up, setting it in, monitoring him, draining it out, measuring what you're left with. And then on top of that, all of your other nursing and treatment considerations, like that's just the peritoneal dialysis. So he's like, so every four to six hours, he was getting a two hour treatment. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Yeah. And Got then in between it. that, so everything two else hours needed. on, two hours off. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. <laughs> that poor cat was probably so exhausted. Yeah. Aww. But I mean, as you can, well, for those of you who can see the photo, you'll see he's not bothered about it in the slightest. Like, he's, this, he's, no. he's like chilling. Yeah. He, he has no idea really at this point. He's like, oh, it's fine. So the, this is him having all of his peritoneal dialysis. So the dialysate solution, you can get um, kind of purpose formulated commercial bags, but we actually formulated our own. So mm. there's instructions on how to do this in the um, advanced procedures in veterinary emergency and critical care textbook, the like mm. big burgundy textbook. It has a whole chapter on PD, which is essentially where we took all of this information from. And the dialysate solution that we made was Hartman's with um, glucose and heparin. 
So the glucose is going to give us the osmolarity to pull out the uh, waste products, the nitrogenous waste that's building up. And the heparin is going to help prevent fibrosis um, when that fluid goes in, essentially. Ah, that makes sense. Nice. Okay. So we popped it in in a really carefully controlled way through an infusion pump, obviously just labelled really carefully to make sure that it didn't end up accidentally going intravenously. And then once that um, had sat in the abdomen for the necessary dwell time and it was allowed to free drain out, the fluid that we were getting out in the collection system had the appearance of urine. So Mm -hmm. the PD was working, it was drawing out some of those kind of uremic toxins and waste products. That's wow. so cool how that works. Like, yeah, so really cool. cool. <laughs> like, because of course the the peritoneal membrane is a partially permeable membrane, so it's yep. going to allow yeah. all of those particles to cross through by osmosis. And he's really chill about it. Um, yeah, he he like yeah, doesn't he does care. Not, he does like, not care. I mean, considering he, like you, you guys can't see this picture, but he's got a jugular catheter in, right? And he's got yeah. this huge bandage on his abdomen. And he looks like he could care less that he has a giant abdomen backpack on him. Yeah. Well, and does he still have his uh, NG tube in too? Uh, yeah, and a UCAF. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, so yeah. it's like, dude, he is covered and he is just like, he doesn't even have knee collar on. Look at him. He's like, yeah, yeah this is fine. Like, this is life. Well, this is, I'm good. I'm not like, sure yeah. he could reach anything with all the bandages on. Yeah, I say that bandage is not, <laughs> he's not going to get to his urinary catheter with that bandage on his abdomen, is he? <laughs> no. I mean, it doesn't look like he even cares to. He's no. just like, yeah, this is. He's, he's very so chilled, to be fair. He's very, very chilled. But the, he's like, I yeah. got good drugs. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the massive abdominal though? bandage. Sorry, go Can on. you imagine if he got mean, like, as he got Aww. better? Like, oh, you're like, this is great. But like, you're making this very yeah. hard. Like, that would be way yeah. harder if he got mean. <laughs> no, to be fair, he was a fantastic patient and still is. He still comes in to see us. And Aww. I think... It, we were really lucky because temperament wise, he would just let us do whatever. So he yeah. didn't mind all of this intensive treatment, but also I would not have blamed him if he got annoyed because oh, 100%. I mean, he was in for two weeks, having this done all the time. This poor cat is going to be poked and prodded so much. So yeah. Oh I my God. Blame your circadian, circadian rhythm's like totally off. He's like, what sleep? Yeah. I don't even know what yeah. that is anymore. Ugh. Exactly. Like what a perfect patient. Yeah. Like kudos, Shake. Yeah. He was very good. <laughs> Yeah, the crazy abdominal bandage is needed because we have to be, of course, he's got a catheter going into his abdomen. We have mm-hmm. to be so on it with infection control because the last thing we want is him getting a septic abdomen. Yeah. So Especially because whole... you're putting glucose in there. Like... Yeah, exactly. Ooh, Food ooh. for bacteria. Yeah. <laughs> so the whole situation had to be done really aseptically. Sterile gloves, sterile everything. The catheter underneath that bandage is wrapped in chlorhexidine swabs and all mm. of that was changed aseptically once a day. Um, the lines and everything were all changed every 24 hours as well. So a new dialysate um, was made up every 24 hours. He had a new collection system go on at the same time. So it was all like super, wow. super, super sterile. So yeah, he had four days of PD in total. Uh, we probably would have carried it on longer, but I think that the 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 osmolarity from the glucose was was quite uncomfortable um, and mm. he did get a bit of like peritonitis. So we did stop it for that reason, but actually it did what it needed to do because his creatinine came down oh, to 1.86. Yeah, from, <laughs> from 28 when it when he presented. Cow. We're yeah, like super and... spoiled. Like we see the numbers and we're like, oh yeah, it's like, it, it's 
it's less That's than amazing. a tenth of what it was. That's amazing. Yeah, it was 28 on presentation and it came down to 1.8. Oh 1. 1. That's wild. Yeah. So it came down um, to I d- the normal range in the UK for, for creatinine is up to about 170. So he had actually just tucked into the normal range um, for us on our biochemistry analyzer. That's his urine crazy. <laughs> yeah. And his urine became more concentrated as well. So his SG went up to 1034 from his kidneys um, were like, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> or at least one of them, right? Because there was definitely right. Yeah. Trouble, right? But yeah. yeah. Something um, was but working. I mean, that's it. So considering that he's a cat that also has at least some element of chronic kidney disease, yeah. We got his SG up to 1034, which is very, very beautiful. Under adequate. Like, I'll take that. That's amazing. Yeah. It's just amazing because, like, I remember, like, talking to my internists and stuff, and it's like anytime we had, uh, like, any kidney issue, if the creatinine was greater than six milligrams per deciliter, they were, like, mm. poor prognosis, like, trying to get it back down even, like, remotely with, like, close to normal, below five even, trying to get something below yeah. five after it was already above. It's just, like, you've done magic. This is amazing. Wonders of peritoneodialysis. It's the only I time know. I've ever seen it work. And it, it's so funny because previously to to this where I'd worked before we uh, my last referral hospital prior to here didn't have a criticalist when I first started there they had um, internists of course who I worked with but this is the first hospital my current hospital where I worked in a dedicated ICU that had two criticalists on staff always mm. so Prior to this, the conversation about PD that I'd been exposed to before was it's really intensive. The prognosis is really poor and it's it, it's a Hail Mary it, it normally like... not tried. Yeah. This is the first time I'd seen it tried. And actually, and I'm sure not every case is like this, but it, it clearly worked really well in Shake's case. He was like, mm-hmm. she was like the poster child for this. <laughs> I mean, it it's also helpful that he was such a good patient because I yeah. truly do believe that it makes a difference yeah. in like their outcome. Because it's like, you know how you just have some of those patients, though, too, who also just, like, give up. They're just like, yeah, Aww, well, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not here for this. Yeah. It's amazing. What a cool case. I'm really glad we did yeah, this. Yeah, <laughs> did really well. And um, and I think, speaking of, like, temperaments and things, as you say, he is the perfect patient for it. But I think that's something that we have to consider when we are recommending different yeah. treatment options. Because if he hadn't have been the type of patient that he was, this would not have been the right treatment for him. Because it would have made him completely and utterly miserable yeah or something that had a slim chance of working but the fact that he was really chilled that's what I was gonna say because I was like when you were like the two options are either euthanasia or PD right and I'm like euthanasia wasn't like it's not a wrong option no yeah like (laughs) you know it's like and it's wow what a good case yeah so he did really well and this was January 2020 Oh wow! And he's still <laughs> and he's, going now. He's still coming in. Yeah. So we he had a really really good sustained improvement in his renal parameters. He started eating. We removed all of his tubes. We got him off of opioids. Got him off of all injectable medications, and then sent him home. We saw him back one month after he was discharged through the internal medicine service for renal staging to see what degree of CKD he was left with, and he uh, was staged as a stage two. That's um, not bad, considering no, he tried to die. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like you worked really hard. <laughs> considering that um, any AKI patient would be considered a stage one CKD anyway, because they've got a normal creatinine, but other evidence of renal disease. Yeah. So actually, the fact that he had only just like gone into stage two was great. 
Uh, he's still a stable stage two CKD patient now, four years wow. later. Uh, the only thing that he did do, because he's a cat, so obviously he's going to do something weird, is he got immune-mediated by cytopenia, randomly. What's no by cytopenia mean? Uh, so what, what he was anemic and neutropenic, but not thrombocytopenic. So not quite a pancytopenia. Oh. oh, I see. So he's had a few blood transfusions uh i think he's had seven blood transfusions now but his kidneys are great wow (laughs) (laughs) he comes in has a transfusion it's challenging to cross match because he basically is incompatible with everything we find a unit he has it then he goes home yeah (laughs) Um, i was gonna say is he a b cat that'd be no he's an a (laughs) but you know so this is really funny he when he was in hospital with his aki his pcv dropped to 14 percent because of all of the sampling and everything that we had done and the fact that he, as you said, was probably hemoconcentrated on admission and we've then given Mm -hmm. him fluid therapy and he's got a degree of CKD anyway, so he's going to be tended towards anemia. I cross-matched him to give him a transfusion. He was transfusion naive at this point, so he'd never, ever had one before and he was incompatible with every single A unit that we had in the hospital. So I guess it must have been a MIC incompatibility. That's yeah. what I'm wondering. I was like, is he a Mick cat? Is I guess he must cat? be. He has to be. Yeah. So he's always been really annoying to cross match, even before he'd ever had a transfusion. Yeah. So huh. in that case, when his PCV was 14, we actually didn't transfuse him because he wasn't clinical for it. And his PCV then started improving and he became, he was regenerative. So it was fine. Um, but he oh. has since then developed this immune-mediated anemia, neutropenia, and needed transfusions. And he's Did on immunosuppressives. Ever figure out the underlying cause of the acute injury? Nope. Never figured it out. No, don't know. It, will, it remains a mystery to this day, sadly. Did you get now? Okay, I'm probably not. But maybe he ate a do... lizard or something. <laughs> I was just <laughs> thinking, like, did you guys like do like uh, infectious disease testing at all? Because like I'm, like, I think of Bartonella, like with all this weird stuff. We didn't cat. actually. Uh, I can't remember if we have the FIV him. I think the referring. I'm sure you probably did. I'm pretty sure the referring didn't probably would have. Yeah. Um, we didn't so do um, anything else. Like Mike, uh, uh, when he had his, uh, when he came in for his uh, hematology issues, yeah. we did um testing for like mycoplasma hemophilus and all of that then and that was all negative um but we didn't do a huge amount of infectious disease testing for the aki purely because in the uk also we're quite lucky and we don't get a huge amount of um crazy uh, crazy infectious diseases over here especially in cats in dogs we're seeing more because we have a greater proportion of traveling dogs we get a lot more like tick-borne disease we get a lot of lepto over here a lot of lepto for dogs Mm. but for cats we don't see massive amounts um of kind of infectious disease tests of of infectious diseases well i guess if a dog is going to bring over any infectious disease one that affects the kidney sounds like it would be great because you guys are clearly good at that (laughs) (laughs) oh my god yeah so we still see shake he uh comes back in for staging for his ckd semi-regularly he, uh, I think he spends a fair amount of his time in France now and we get every now and then history from his French vet. I think he spends like a bit of the year with his family over there and then a bit of the year over here. So we see him sometimes, they he, they see him other times. 
and we get his history from from um, his French vet and things. And yeah, what a lucky cat, <laughs> living his best life. Yeah, that's oh wild. What a cool case. Yeah, really cool case. I really like that. Well, this was amazing, Laura. I like. I seriously can't like thank you. Like you didn't disappoint. Like with how much he hyped it up at the conference. I was like, this is a solid case. Like he is a cool. Case. This is awesome. He's probably yeah. the best one I've got. I think. Yeah, it, this yeah. is a good one. Nice. So, well, thanks again. I do want to do more of these types of podcast episodes. So if you come across any other cases that you want to share, although <laughs> Shake might be the coolest. Like, <laughs> we're yeah, I'm not going to top Shake. shake I don't think. <laughs> no, no, no. That's what we should do is we should do multiple case studies. And then we should have your favorite case study of the year at the end of the year. Nice. Yeah. I feel like you've already heard it now, though, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like nothing's going to top Shake. Like yeah. That's the thing, though. Shake sets the bar high. Mm. Like <laughs> we got to get some good case studies on here. This is a good so. one. Love it. Well, well, cool. Thank you so much, Laura, for sharing this with us. This was truly amazing. Definitely send over the PDF so we can share it with everybody who listens. And then, um, yeah, we're definitely going to do this again. Like this was fun. Yay. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm so All right, guys. glad well, thank you. we got to do this. And, um, if you haven't checked out Laura's podcast, cause obviously you like internal medicine podcasts, you should go check it out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. If you're listening to this, you'll like Laura's podcast. <laughs> and you get to like geek out and be like, I love her accent. <laughs> it is nice. It's there was so something soothing. you said and I can't remember what it was. And I was like, Hee, that's so cute. Because it's totally different than what we say. And it was really cool. Really? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I mean, it was like a little thing, but I just noticed things like that. It's just, you know, it's fun. Makes it interesting when you're listening to educational content. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, thank you everybody for listening and making a commitment to learning. I hope everybody enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And um, we'll chat with you guys next week. Bye guys. Bye. Thank you, Laura. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Mm -hmm. Different than what we say. And it was really cool. Really? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I mean, it was like a little thing, but I just noticed things like that. It's just, you know, it's fun. Makes it interesting when you're listening to educational content. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, thank you everybody for listening and making a commitment to learning. I hope everybody enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And um, we'll chat with you guys next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you, Laura. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast. And make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher, and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.